The following program is being brought to you on the World Talk Radio Network. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit worldtalkradio.com. The World Talk Radio Network, where the world comes to talk. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the World Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. What you hear in the next hour could very well save your life. Now, here's your host, Sharon Kleina. I want to invite you to listen to the Sharon Kleina Hour, The Power of Water, Earth's Human Mission, A Healthier Planet to Live. I'm Sharon Kleina. Today, I am so excited about... I've said to my audience for three and a half years, if it wasn't for the guests that we've had on the show, that this would not be the fascination that it is for the world to listen to and uh, find a fascination. I've looked at the Sharon Kleiner Hour, the power of water, our crusade of people becoming closer to the nature of our planet and the nature of who we are. And that meant if water is the first life on earth and we it's a crisis we need to learn more about the nature of water and if we learn more about how to protect the water and our our nature of our earth that from the beginning we'd also learn how to live with each other and the crisis of water as you've all known and we've had different people on the show through the years discussing from Nobel Prize winners, NASA, heads of the United Nations. We've gone into Sweden. We've gone into countries of the world, Holland. We've learned about what they're teaching us. And this laboratory called a radio talk to listen and learn more about what you think might be another side to other ways to learn about more about life and living on this planet together. And, uh, and this talk show... Uh, is one of those talk shows that wants to discuss to, to you life-threatening water wars. Let's face it, water has, wars have been going on from the beginning of time. Uh, the global water and health crisis is out of control. 5,000 children have been dying a day because they don't have water. One of our guests said, wouldn't it be something if we could have free water all over the world as a goal? Number one is our environment. If you've been listening to the news lately, you were listening with the National Geographic about the Yellow River, and we're going to discuss that with one of our guests today, Art Bernstein, about the Yellow River in Russia. Um, pardon me, in Russia. I apologize. In China. And the Yellow River in China has had so much neglect and people that are absolutely dying by just jumping in. Um, our other guest today, our first guest is John Perkins, and John is from Seattle, Washington, and I find John's four lives that he's going to discuss to us very fascinating. He's an economist, and he's a writer, for, a contributor for the Huffington Post. And he's got a book out that I'm really intrigued about, Hoodwinked. And he's going to tell us about his version of what he thinks going on, I believe, with the economy and your dollar bill all over the world and your hard work. We're going to listen. I'm really excited to listen to this because I think he's going to teach me a lot and if I can ask the right questions, you're going to learn a lot. 
Let's listen to our sponsor, Nature's Tears Eye Mist, the only method to moisturize the eye and supplement. Did you know that your tear film at the surface of your eye is 99% water? Nature's Tears Eye Mist is the only supplement with the water to be able to replace that lost moisture. Well, listen to our sponsor, and we'll be back with John Perkins. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. You're listening to the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. That's SharonKleinaHour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. John, are you with us? Yes, I'm here. Well, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure um, to be with you. I've got in front of me your your four lives that you discussed, and uh, I find that fascinating. Uh, But before we begin um, the show, and you can teach us so much, uh, and this is what the show is about, John, is our guests are the most fabulous people all over the world, and I've said our guests are our heroes to teach us in our own laboratory what we need to be learning about other sides of what is going on in our lives. But tell us about yourself and those four lives. Well, that's a long story, Sharon. <laughs> so I, I, what I'd really like to do is focus on the most recent one, which is uh, trying to, under, to, trying to uh, uncover, if you will, and present the underbelly of the society that we live in, um, the reasons why we're going through this current economic crisis, which I think is extremely systemic, and we're not going to get out of this economic crisis until we change the system. Um, I was an economic hitman, as you know. Uh, the book Confessions of an Economic Hitman spells that out extensively. But you know, um, uh, John, I noticed that, and and a lot of people might not. I've been in business forever, and since I was in my twenties, and I study business, and I'm not a smart person. Trust me, John. And I see the sides of all that is going on, too, all the little nooks and crannies and triangles. And I like you said, the belly of it all. But what is an economic hitman so the audience would understand uh, what you were trying to think about, what you're thinking? Well, I think it's fair to say that economic hitman really created the world's first truly global empire. 
and it's okay. an empire that's run by corp- by corporations, not by not by a government, not by a single emperor, uh, unlike empires of the past. This one is is really run by the heads of our biggest corporations, and this is not a conspiracy theory. These people don't have to get together in secret to plot to do illegal activities, uh, but they are all driven by a single goal. And that goal is to maximize profits regardless of the social and environmental costs. Well, and I'm going to add something as you said that they're golden parachute. Well, that's because they're all on contract. They're all uh, their their lawyers did all the negotiation, and they're on a golden parachute. And then the company has to make money, so they get a big compensation. Right, they're all mercenaries. Uh, We're learning. We're learning. When I went to business school in the in the late sixties, I, I was taught that a good CEO is a is a good soldier. He's looking out for the best interest of his company in the long run, and, he, and that includes having the company be a good citizen in the communities where it works. But today, that's all changed. They, they we're no longer good soldiers. The CEOs are now mercenaries, and they're as you said, they're out to make the the most money they possibly can. And they have themselves. an excellent lawyer to do the negotiations of their contracts. Well, and beyond that. Uh, they write the laws of the land. Uh, you know, not so long ago, during my lifetime, the laws of the United States were written by elected officials. Today they're written by the corporations, by their lobbyists and their lawyers, who pass them through elected officials. But these elected officials only get elected because uh, corporations support them financially and in many other ways. And so they're really beholden to the corporations. And I think that's something we really, really need to understand. This I truly, is a world that, I, that I was really that. created by economic hitmen like like myself, and it's a world that's it's a, it's a failure. You know, when you've got less than five percent of us living in the United States, less than five percent of the world's population, but we're consuming close to thirty percent of the world's resources. Meanwhile, roughly half the world is starving or on the verge of starvation. That's not a model. That's a failure. You can only describe it as that. And it's not something that can be repeated in India or Africa or Latin America. You need another five planets like this one without any people on it uh, to do that. That's not going to happen. So we have to admit that we've created a failed system. It's something I call predatory capitalism that really rose up in the 70s when I was an economic hitman. And since then has become accepted by every U.S. president, Democrat, and Republican alike. And it's a very, very dastardly form of capitalism. It's very self-centered. It's very materialistic. It's very oriented toward making a few rich people a lot richer and more powerful. You know, We must change that, it. It's something that I've looked at to open-mindedly, objectively, because I'm, I'm in research all the time into the, where I do, but something else, but into the center of the biologic research. But when I looked at what happened to the health, for example, and I had to go out and objectively take a peek that what happened to those health insurance companies are publicly held. And when you're publicly held, if you're not make showing a good story to the news media and to the stories to be written that you're making money and you're doing everything you can to make money, those uh, portfolio managers will change investments very quickly on a dime if they think that that company is not going to make money. So well, they have to continually be making money, whether it's at the expense of the patient not getting into the hospital. They have to make money. And do you think when you were, lear- when you were out there learning and studying, uh, what do you think about the publicly held companies? Because the ones you're discussing probably are all publicly held companies. 
publicly held is 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 the is the legal term yes but in fact as 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 you point out they're they're very much manipulated by huge investment funds whether these are pension funds or whether they're hedge funds or whatever there we go yeah and you've got a few people at the top of there in, in in essence, you know, it's really not even important whether the companies make money or not. It's whether the portfolio managers make money. There we go. Mm-hmm. And the CEOs. And but you know, I think the good news, Sharon, is that we need to understand that these corporations are dependent on us to buy their goods and services. That's right. Yeah. And we don't need to buy from companies that that are manipulating us, that are trying to cr- control us. I, I, I travel around the country a lot speaking, and I speak at MBA programs in, in colleges and universities. And, you know, I, I continually encourage students, when they get into positions to run these companies, to, to change the system because it's a, it's a failed system. And I also encourage people to realize that, for example, if they, you don't buy your next pair of tennis shoes or, or running pants or something from Nike, and you send them an email, and 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 these things do get put into matrices. So that so that guy at the top, Phil Knight or whoever happens to be running on a day-to-day basis, uh, reads these things. And if you say in an email, listen, you know, I'm not buying from you because you still got sweatshops in, in Indonesia, and instead you buy from a company that doesn't use sweatshops, and you send them an email. This will work eventually. Uh, it's it's worked in the past. We got rid of apartheid in South Africa because we boycotted companies that were supporting it. More recently, we've got trans fats out of foods. We we've made tremendous progress in, in, in with women in the workplace and and uh, uh, minorities in the workplace. There's still room for progress in all these things. We've gotten rid of aerosol cans. We're destroying the ozone layer. Cleaned up terribly polluted rivers in the United States because we took a stand against corporations mm-hmm. uh, that we didn't like what they were doing. Today, we need to ratchet this up a notch. And we need to say, listen, you know, we're only going to support companies that can make a profit, but only within the context of creating a sustainable, just, and peaceful world. Only companies that are socially and environmentally responsible. No more of this uh, goal that was defined and written about extensively by Milton Friedman, who really was kind of the defining person behind uh, this predatory capitalism, an economist from the University of Chicago, who said the only responsibility of business is to maximize profits, regardless of the social and environmental cost. Well, and then, John, they also, through the period of years, the whole accounting system is set up for all CPAs, all legal accounting system is based on that premise. Uh, you go out to a CPA and you talk to a CFO. They're programmed into a column that, hook or crook, you have to make money. And if you don't have that in your column. Uh, the other one is, have you ever heard of a place in the world? I, I found it fascinating. And I'm not. A, um, I'm not a very. Aggra- I'm not an advocate of. of I, I, I'm a business person, John, and I've been in business. I'm an entrepreneur, and I think American entrepreneurs are endangered species. I do. I think they're afraid to to think about going out and starting companies anymore or businesses because of just what you said too. But I noticed along the way that people uh, were uh, going after. Uh, other places of the world, John. Um, when the, the the when uh, what, what, who was the author? I'm embarrassed. I know who it is really well. Anyway, um, who wrote the bu- first one of the first books about uh, the uh, unions going on strike? And then these corporations, many many years ago in America, were out of business 
and then all of a sudden they thought, well, if we're going to keep, we're publicly held, if we're going to stay in business, we better find other places to go and stay in business while we're on strike here in America. Um, I noticed that with Phil Knight with Nike, he was competing against other shoe companies, other businesses that were already going other places, and he couldn't make any money uh, with selling just to America. He found himself going out and getting more creative because he became, he became a publicly held company. Um, what is your thinking about that? Um, because what happens, John, to stay in business, uh, these companies in America, uh, they were very excited about their own jobs and their own economy. All of a sudden, about 30, 40, 40 years ago, started moving out of the country because of big union labor strikes. What did you learn about that? Well, I, you know, it's, it's a very complex subject, obviously, but Phil Knight, for example, was always interested in making huge profits. That's partly why he became publicly held, because he was making such great profits. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, the, 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 the cart pulling the horse isn't quite true in this case. Phil Knight was always a very greedy, selfish, sociopathic individual before he, be, before he went public. And... You know, it's it's interesting because it's not just about maximizing profits in his case. It's about um, market share. He wants to have the biggest market share in the business, which he has. He's willing to pay sports figures, people like in the past, Tiger Woods is the one that comes to mind, millions and millions of dollars every year. You know, I often have thought if, if somebody like Tiger Woods had simply said, I'm going to, I'm not, I'll go to Reebok, and instead of $40 million a year or whatever it was, they can pay me 10 I think I can get along with $10 million. I think I can buy enough golf balls on $10 million a year. And I want every executive at Reebok or to take a, a, a pay cut. And the excess money that comes out of that we'll send to the workers in Indonesia. And I'm going to broadcast this all over the world. And I'm going to tell everybody to buy Reebok instead of Nike. If just one sports figure like that, a major person like that, spoke up, it could change everything. And I think that's, that's what we need, is we need to understand that we, the people, do have control over this. It, we can all speak up. It doesn't take a lot of people to start cleaning up rivers that were on fire in Ohio, for example, uh, back 20, 30 years ago, to, to insist on companies doing a better job. Have you now heard we the just need to do it on a, much, on a much larger scale where we say we're only going to buy from companies that are committed to being socially and environmentally responsible. We, the people, have a lot more power than perhaps we're willing to admit. Do you think, John, that the timing is perfect right now for your, what you are saying? I think in our country, I always look at the United States of America as 50 little countries. We call them states, but they're like 50 little countries. And you look at it, and... You just hit my my heart when you said uh, clean up the rivers and the waters. And now, did you hear the recent one over in um, um, in California, where the in, the in one of the valleys of California, where they have a, a crisis, Seville, California, tainted water crisis. They can't even turn on their own taps in their homes anymore. There, the schools had to turn off all of the water hydrants. It is so tainted that people were getting ill. And um, all of that, but can you imagine in America, John, we have a water crisis going on all over the United States. The pipes are crusty and old pipes. To me, the most exciting business venture 
to get into for everyone to think about is protecting the water, John. And that's why I started The Power of Water. I wanted to ask you something. You have down here, you've been doing something with the Amazon tribes to help preserve the rain for us. Uh, since we're on a wa- little bit of water here, tell us what you've done there. Well, I've been working with these tribes since 1968 when I was a Peace Corps volunteer in the Amazon mm-hmm. with the Schwa people deep in the Amazon. Uh-huh. And I still do. I'm, I'm a co- co-founder of Dream Change and the Pachamama Alliance, two organizations that work extensively uh, with not just Amazonian people, but people, indigenous people around the world. Mm-hmm. A lot of the work is around water. One of the things we're involved with, Trudy Styler and Sting, her husband, uh, in providing uh, pure water to people who've always had pure water in the Amazon, but their water recently has been destroyed by, the, by our oil companies, uh, oil companies that satisfy our demands up here, have totally wrecked huge areas of the Amazon. And people who have been brought up with pristine waters suddenly have terribly polluted waters. So, yeah, you've hit the nail on the head. This is a huge issue. Water no, and, also food, and also food. I mean, people around the planet are starving to death uh, for lack of nutrition and all over Africa. Water. And in number one, water. And, and you know, it's, um, it's like one young man we had on here uh, who's a merchant banker uh, back in uh, North Carolina, but he's from Kenya area. And he said, too, his dream for his, uh, for his country that it came from is to have free water. Mm-hmm. And you've, you, you've got a wonderful crusade there because, you know, you're talking about people that are after money. I'm going to tell you my side of this. I'm going to mention um, Al Gore. Going out and primarily going after money became a billionaire at the expense of our society being concerned about the environment, but you never hear about the water. Water. And uh, those of us on this show through the years, and we get into all kinds of uh, subjects, uh, John, uh, and all, uh, but where did, why did they leave out the water if they're going to make a billion dollars for themselves personally or whoever? There are children, 5,000 children a day dying, John, because they don't have water. How much of that money did they donate to concerns of the environment for water first? Mm. Water primarily. And, and I watch that, and, and my concern is, like you said, where have we been um, in our lives to forget about the earth should be here for eternity? And the health of the earth is vital to how we all live together on this earth. And as you said, our businesses got uh, left us all behind because they were going on the demand of mass consumer uh, audience buying the product and portfolio managers uh, ma- uh, buying the pro- uh, t- trading uh, stock and, and handling uh, the retirement plans. As you probably heard, those retirement plans all over the world are in trouble. And the latest uh, report to, uh, on the business out there is our states and our cities are going to be in trouble in 2011 because of it all. Well, what's going to happen to the municipalities of, their, of keeping everything moving and operating in these, uh, in these homes and, and cities and towns and uh, out in the country if they, if they have no money to live, live their life just to, turn, to have water and, and fresh air and, this, and food on the table? What have you, have you learned very much about what's going on out there on um, agriculture? Uh, what is happening with the agriculture out there? Well, agriculture is run by big businesses, of course. Uh, 
around the world. You know, we've certainly seen in our country where um, the, the Obama administration, is, uh, its whole agricultural policy is basically run by Monsanto, executives from Monsanto and other big agribusinesses who have essentially taken over the high positions and everything that controls agriculture. It's, 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 been, it's true. And I think what we have to recognize is that, you know, government is no longer of, for, and by the people. It's of, for, and by big corporations, whether you're talking about agriculture mm-hmm. or energy or water. Or water. Well, what I'm thinking is water and agriculture and... Mm-hmm. Well, whatever you're talking about, Sharon, and and, and I, you know, we need to to recognize though that we are in this this phase. We've today we're at a time when it's very much like when city states became nations. Except today, the nations have lost their power. Really, the power is controlled by big corporations. It used to be that you looked at the globe as you know as, as having roughly 200 countries, of which a few were very powerful. The Soviet Union, the United Kingdom, the United States. But today, you better look at the world more as there's still these 200 countries on this globe, but these, the power base, the geopolitics is controlled by huge clouds drifting around the planet. These are the big corporations. They call the shots in China. They call the shots in, in, in Israel and Palestine, in the United States, wherever you go. There's, a, there's one major exception right now, and that is Latin America. And it's interesting, you, uh, you know, I'm sure you know this, but uh, the 10 countries there in recent years have voted in uh, leaders democratically who are standing up to corporations. And a lot of this is around water. Bolivia, Evo Morales made his name by standing up to Bechtel, who took over the water supply of, of, of Cochabamba. And uh, Rafael Correa, president of Ecuador, Ph.D. in economics from the University of Illinois, capitalist. But he says nobody's going to take our water and he's pushed through the first constitution in the history of the world that gives inalienable rights to nature, including water. Uh, so 10 countries in Latin America are standing up to the big corporations, and incidentally, during almost all of my lifetime, every one of those countries was ruled by brutal dictators who were put into place by the CIA and kept there by the CIA. That's changed in the last 10 years, in less than 10 years. Mm-hmm. That's changed. So there is there's this an amazing movement that's happening, and it is based around indigenous people, around nature, around water, around plants and animals. Well, you're just winning my heart, John. <laughs> oh, good. I mean, it's you're going to have to come to, uh, and we're going to have to sit across from each other. <laughs> it's, it's phenomenal. What's I'm a believer um, in Latin America. I'm you know, in, in, in years old, and I've been studying nature for over thirty odd years, and I found myself. Where have we all been, John, to leave the nature behind? Yeah, how old did you say you were? Sixty-nine. Sixty-nine. Well, I'm turning sixty-six in about a month, so. We're... Okay, we're both young. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, I'm going to live to be 180, and as long as we keep drinking good water and 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 with a crusade of the world listening to this show today about the water, about the water. Uh, but now, tell us about uh, Brazil. Um, but they're really their their unbel- their economy is really coming on. Well, sure, Brazil's one of the economic powerhouses in the world, and it's it's hard for the United States to sometimes accept that. But it has one of the you know half dozen biggest economies in the world, and it's got some fairly enlightened leadership. The, the current president, a woman who's taken over from the, the, the president of the past years, Lula, who's who, who's been very very powerful leader throughout the world. He's had to make compromises, and she will have to make compromises, too. Well, isn't she his right-hand person? She was, yes, and now she's, she's in charge. Yeah, she's in charge, but... 
and uh, you know it's a, it's it's a, it's a country with with tremendous potential, but so are a lot of the other Latin American countries uh-huh. that are really and some of them are standing up to us in much stronger way than than Brazil is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Brazil, of course, is the is the largest economy of any of those countries, and you know the indigenous movement there and the movement that's coming out of the Amazon and out of the nature places is very very strong in Brazil as it is mm-hmm. in in Ecuador and Bolivia and mm-hmm. uh, Nicaragua and uh, in, in Venezuela, Uruguay, Paraguay, so many of the countries in Latin America where the indigenous people are speaking strongly and they're speaking from a nature-based philosophy, mm-hmm. a philosophy that says if we're going to survive as a species, we're going to have to make sure every other species survives too. You know, I yeah, think you just won our hearts on that one because... John, have you ever been anywhere in our country or it says on the bumper sticker, I'm taking it with me when I leave? I mean, I remember seeing a few of those in the years past. And I have a thing at the end of this show. I always say, Earth is whispering. Never say goodbye. Leave your footprint. Leave something for someone else. John, it is so nature to everyone should want to do something so powerfully good so that when they pass on, they become immortal, mm. like you will. You will, John. You're a well, very special person, and you decided in your life that you wanted to offer something of your nature to pay back, pay forward, and you're giving that. Uh, I can tell by your tone of voice and your concerns. Well, um, you know, Sharon, I, I have to say I have a three-year-old grandson, and, it, and and he lives 10 minutes from my house, so I spend a lot of time with him. I'll be spending most of the day with him today after we get off the phone. And whenever I'm with him, we go for walks in the woods a lot. We have beautiful forests here where I live in the state of Washington. And, uh, uh, and But I'm always struck by how the only way this young man is going to inherit a sustainable, just, and peaceful world is if every child on this planet, every child of every species, including the plant species, uh, it has that kind of a world. And this is brand new. It used to be that you could, you know, take care of the state of Washington or the United States, perhaps, but you didn't need to worry about the rest of the world. But today we're so interdependent, we're so interrelated, that we have to understand that we definitely live on a very small and fragile space station. And unlike, right. the, unlike the space station that our, that our astronauts built, this one doesn't have any shuttles. We can't get off. So if we're going to survive, you know, we're, we've got to turn things around. And we have to understand that we can't just take care of our local communities or our country it, that, because the whole planet is our home. And we must get that. We absolutely have to get that. We have to, and you're sharing that. In fact, I've said on my show I've had different heads of NASA and United Nations on, and now I have you, John. But I said to the world, I said, just stand back away from the planet Earth and take a look as if you're looking at Earth all by itself in the solar system. Mm-hmm. And you just said it. Yeah. Uh, we have a responsibility. And you know, John, to me, I think that's the greatest hobby anybody could have is nature. It's the most fun, you, too. Oh, it is the most fun. And you just said something else that won my heart today. I've said to the world, there's no such thing until... Tell your little grandchild today that you were on a radio show today with a lady who says all children are perfect, and watches watches expression. 
Yeah, well, I know, I know it'll be. All he's, children are perfect, John. He's, he's, he's very, you know, he's amazing. He's, he's learned, he goes into the woods and he goes up to a tree immediately now and he sort of puts his arms around the tree and says, I love you, tree. Oh, John, I've done that too. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. one, one of the times I did it, I love Manhattan, by the way. I love Manhattan. I go there forever for years. But I came home after being there for two weeks working and I came back and we live uh, in Grants Pass, Oregon, in southern Oregon on the Rogue River. And uh, I've done that. I've gotten off the plane come from Mifford over and I kissed the trees, but I've done it in the woods. And uh, that is exciting. And, and I want the listeners to know that uh, that is where we're all coming from on this show, John, is we're sharing with the world uh, a, a piece of uh, something of nature, of e- each of us. And uh, my priority of life is res- the water. I have said to the world forever, you're born in, in the womb, you're 99, I learned this from reading, you're 99% water. You come into the delivery room, you be, you're 90% water. You become an adult at 70% water. As you're passing on in life, you become 50% water and less. And like Dr. Emoto said, uh, uh, that our, we're like flowing rivers in our body. The body must flow with drinking a lot of water and keep it flowing so that it slows the toxin and all the bacteria and the diseases hopefully out. And that is nature. Mm-hmm. That is nature. And what you're doing with your grandson and yourself is to keep yourself, your feet on the ground, and remember that nature is going to be with you here on earth and in heaven. And um, I, I truly believe there will be no ending to your life, John, because you've been doing so much. We only have about three minutes left. What is it more would you like to teach our audience today for what you believe that is so well, important? I'd like to say, you know, I, I have tremendous hope. I, as I mentioned earlier, earlier when after Confessions of an Economic Hitman came out a little about six years ago, I've been on a constant road trip ever since, basically, and a lot of it's with university students. And I always try to spend time with these students, not just lecturing to them, but hanging out with them and getting to know them, having me, sharing meals with them. And six years ago, even five years ago, I would hear from them, particularly the MBA students, the ones who will be running our corporations later, that their goal in life, the reason that they were in these school programs was because they wanted to make money and have power. This year I don't hear that anymore. I don't hear it in the United States. I just came back from China where I was with a bunch of university students there. Before that, Iceland, Latin America. I travel around a lot. Everywhere I go now, I hear students saying, you know, I know I want to have a family someday. I don't want my family to grow up in the world that's happening now. My job is going to be to help turn that around. I keep hearing that, and I didn't hear it five years ago. I didn't hear it six years ago. I heard the opposite. Mm-hmm. So I take great hope in this, Sharon. I take great hope in what I'm hearing on your show now and, and many other places. People are speaking out, and sometimes it's easy to, to get discouraged. That's a really easy thing to get discouraged. The more challenging thing is for us to really take action. And so I would encourage all your listeners to see where their passions lie, whether it's with water or animals or children or wherever it is. Follow that passion. Use your individual passion and your talents, but let's all aim for the same goal, which is a sustainable, just, and peaceful world for every child on this planet, every sentient being on this planet. If we all aim for that goal, we can take our own individual paths to to get there, whether you're a writer or a sculptor or a plumber or an architect or a housewife or a radio host, 
whatever you are, you follow that passion, but we all aim toward creating a sustainable, just, and peaceful world, and we'll get there. And I know we will if we put that effort into it. Yeah, and that could become nature. Yeah, absolutely. It is you know, nature. and another side of this, John, is I believe that the business world could also join in with that. I'm a true believer of it. Uh, our forefathers... Uh, uh, knew that the way we could become a strong uh, economic independent country for ourselves is and be safe, and, but yet you have to pay your bills, and each home could have a dream. And I'm a believe in every home having a dream. And, but it doesn't, and do you remember in the old days when the farmers and every, the people would build a barns for each other? They didn't say, oh, you have more lumber, and I, your paint is better than mine. They just helped each other. Right. I personally believe that the business, the nature of our businesses are important to our economic independence as a country. Well, and I agree. And I, you know, I, I, I frankly, I know a lot of business people. I know a lot of executives. And I don't know one that wants to see nature destroyed or wants to see Florida exactly. sink beneath the oceans. I'm sure, there may be some out there. I know there are psychopathic uh, leaders like Phil Nike's one of them. I, God knows where he's coming from. But the majority of the people out there, including the ones that are coming up through the business schools, are not like that. But we need to encourage them to move in the right direction. You know, we've been sending a message uh, to, to, to our businesses that we want cheap tennis shoes, even, even if they have to be made uh, by slaves in sweatshops. And we want cheap petroleum, even if that means destroying the Amazon. We've been sending, that, we've been I, sending that message. You. We need to turn that around and send let's, a new uh, message. Let's bring it out, let's say, in a business world of a shoe. And uh, the shoes and clothing were one of the first things that were taken abroad um, to be cheaper because they were competing against all the ones all over the world that were cheaper and uh, our country couldn't keep up. They were bringing their products into our country selling cheaper. What is your thinking in being around, getting around so much? Uh, we've only got about a couple of minutes getting around. What, what do you think uh, these different companies in our country should do? Because our labor doesn't want to work. Uh, it, 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 the labor here is so expensive, and if they should go on strike, all of a sudden you're out of business. Well, the, you know, I think that, first of all, the labor unions did a very bad job here around 20, 30 years ago. As I was coming out of business school, the labor unions themselves were getting very selfish and very corrupt. So there was a problem there that wasn't, it wasn't necessarily the laborers, but the unions themselves sort of followed the same. Not, the leaders never, of the I don't believe it's the laborer at all. No, it isn't the laborer. But, the, but, but if we look at the world as a whole, uh, you know, I have nothing against buying things that are made by Indonesians or Chinese or anyone else as long as those people are getting a fair wage. Mm-hmm. and, and uh, decent working conditions. People to support their families. Health care, mm-hmm. retirement pensions. That's what we need to insist upon. Mm-hmm. We're a small world, and we've got to realize that, it, that all these people in China and India and Indonesia are our brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. And we, we need to look at what can we do best in the United States, what can they do best in those places. Mm-hmm. But the real danger here, the real problem, is that we go to these other countries and terribly exploit people. We basically have slaves working for us around the world. And in some respects, it's worse than, than the slavery of the Old South. And, and I don't mean that. I don't say, I'm not saying that lightly. There's nothing really worse than dragging people out of jungles and chains and bringing them to another country. That was terrible. But the fact is, for most slave owners in the Old South, 
they gave the families of slaves homes, food, clothing. It wasn't the best, but they gave it to them. Today, companies like Nike, and I don't mean to just pick on them, there's many, many, many. I was going to say, you know, I'm sitting in Oregon. You're going to have to be careful. <laughs> well, I've, I've, I've come to Nike and told Nike these very same things. So you've, met, you've met Phil, because Phil has done a lot of good things. But I will share with you, and I will tell the audience, that I, uh, through the many, many, many years of what Nike has done for the world and, and uh, directions, I think he would love to do all of his tennis shoes, make all those his business in America. I do know the old story way back in time when he went abroad was because of uh, the competition. He couldn't keep up with what it was costing because they were going to the cheaper labor. Um, well, the then, reason I zero in on Nike, Sharon, is because... Nike is in such an incredibly powerful position. If Nike would really take a leadership role and proclaim that it's not going to pay these athletes so much money, it's not going to, you know, support with millions and millions of dollars athletic programs and colleges and universities, but instead make sure that the workers that work for them. John, do you think we could get him to back water, support support, uh, free water around the world and get him... uh, Donating to uh, foundations for uh, research in water and free water. <laughs> Certainly worth a try. I bet you could do it. <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so likes me very much. And by the way, he's got to be happy right now. The University of Oregon is playing in the championships coming up here in January. Yeah, you know, last time, well, another time I was on another show from a, a, an Oregon um, radio station. They asked me, you know, if right now you were sitting down with Phil Knight, what, what, what single piece of advice would you give him? And my answer is, I would tell him to follow the advice of, of Henry Ford. Henry Ford said, I want to pay all my workers enough money so that they can all, each one of them can buy a Ford. That would be good, be good, be good <laughs> like for them. That. It'll be good for the company. It'll be good for the country. I wish Phil Knight would say, I want to pay all my workers all over the world enough so that they can buy Nike products. His time is coming. Yeah. His time I is coming. I, I mean, I, it's I been agree. I can't, I can't wait to wear years. the Nike swish with pride saying this is the most environmental and socially responsible country, uh, company in the world. And Phil Knight, uh, I bet anything he'll do it. I want to tell you before we close today, uh, my brother was a graduate of Wharton with an MBA. Uh-huh. And Ron, uh, when he walked out, uh, out of Wharton with his uh, master's degree, he, he and I talked and he said, you know, when we leave these schools, we walk out being taught by a professor who never experienced what they were teaching. Yeah. Then we have to go out and learn uh, from scratch everything brand new. That's true. And when, but you know what happened along the way? Ron would side with you on a lot of things you said today uh, about the world out there. He became an economist. He said that what happened, he predicted what happened during the Clinton era. You, era, you cannot run. We'll lose all the high-tech patents. If you're not careful, we had a better than oil going on, but they got greedy. Then came along the uh, AAA rating to trade mortgages. And again, uh, it, it, everybody warned it that, that was uh, economist bottom line people like yourself. You can't keep doing that. Something's going to crash. And what happened in the economy now, John, is that we not only used our, uh, our retirement plans and those trillions of dollars all over the world to do those AAA mortgage trading, that all of a sudden next year they're saying now the communities have been borrowing and the states have been borrowing, and there's going to be some real challenges coming up for people. Maybe what you're wanting and I'm wanting, they're going to turn back to nature, John. What, what do you want to bet? 
I, I you know, I think ultimately that's going to happen, and let's just hope that we can do it in a in a uh, controlled, peaceful, relatively painless way. The alternative is, I think, to do it in a in a way that'll be very traumatic. Well, thank you for being with us today, and everybody listening. He's got a book. You've got, John Perkins has a book out called Hoodwinked, and I think you should read it. Thank you, you have a very special holiday coming, and enjoy that walk with that little one today. Thanks, Sharon. I'd also encourage people to go to www.johnperkins.org and subscribe to my newsletter. Okay. All right. Okay. Thank you. And to be, don't forget to tell your grandson. He's perfect. I, I will tell him. <laughs> okay. You have a nice day and a you nice too. holiday season you coming. Too. Thank you. Bye, and Bye. thank you. I didn't want to take a, a commercial break. Uh, I liked what John was saying. There's sides to every uh, outlook here and uh, of what's happened in our cl- uh, global climate, let's say. We can talk about the environment, but your environment all over the world is your table and the, what you put on it and your bills being paid and keeping the electricity on and your cell phone maybe and your telephone operating and your health your health is more important than anything. And I always want you to remember that water is primary to the show, but we can get into what's happening here all over the world. And water is endangered because if we can't keep those municipalities on going and have safe water and free water all over the world, we are going to have a water, a real serious crisis. I'm going to take a moment with our sponsor, and we'll be back with Art Bernstein from Gold Hill, Oregon is going to talk to us about the Yellow River. We'll listen to our sponsor, and we'll be right back with Art Bernstein. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel, where the world comes to listen and talk. Discover the secret of Nature's Tears Eye Mist, an entirely different approach to eye care without eye drops. When your tear film is dry, your eyes feel dry. Nature's Tears Eye Mist naturally supplements the tear film with Biologic Aqua Absolute Premium Standard Grade of pure, all-natural water. Nature's Tears Eye Mist, just a mist. All-natural, safe, convenient, no preservatives. Nature's Tears Eye Mist can be purchased nationwide at selected eye care professionals and drugstores near you. Listen. The world is talking. The World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Listening to the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water. If you have a question or comment, please direct your email to Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. That's Sharon Hour at Yahoo.com. Now, back to the program. Art, are you with us? Yes. I'm sorry, I had John Perkins on a little longer because I was so fascinated with some of his what he was teaching us. On the Yellow River, That's that fine. You I was I, enjoying it also. So. Uh, the Yellow River that we're going to discuss today. Tell the audience. You know, I wanted the audience to know. I was on the National Geographic series. They brought up the Yellow River, and said it, the seriousness of the contamination, and that people could literally uh, in China, people are committing suicide all over China 
because they cannot, their health is in danger because of the pollution. Right. And they're finding that people are jumping into the Yellow River, and they know they'll die immediately to commit suicide. Yeah, I think that's been the case for a long time. Tell us a little bit about the Yellow River and what what is happening. Okay, the Yellow River is the 3,395 miles. It's the second longest river in China. It's the seventh longest river in the world. It starts up in the uh, in the Tibetan Plateau in an area called the Three Rivers National Preserve, which is also the source of the Yangtze and the Mekong, which are the first and the third longest river in China. Mm-hmm. So they all start in the same place. This one goes across the North China Plateau, which is also called the Loose Plateau, L-O-E-S-S. Mm-hmm. And loose is a type of uh, soil that comes from dust. It gets blown in from somewhere else, and it's uh, it's very fine, and that that's why it's called the Yellow River, is because uh, it picks up all this silt as it goes through the plateau. Now the contamination. Now the, the plateau the is also the industrial heartland of China, and China is the world's most polluted country. Okay, so oh. it is this particular area of the Yellow River that we're going to discuss today is because it's the uh, the largest industrial area of uh, of China is yeah. where this river is flowing. Yeah, it's the most polluted area of China, and it's also this loose plateau which uh, washes uh, you know this is tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of this yellow silt mm-hmm. into the river on top of everything else. Mm-hmm. So by the time the last 500 miles, it goes with, across what's called the North China Plateau. Mm-hmm. And because it has so much silt in it, it's sort of on a little perch with with uh, natural levees on either side. I, I've seen that uh, at, the mouth of the, uh, at the mouth of the Mississippi. Mm-hmm. The Mississippi is in this sort of a, a little raised channel because of, of all the silt it carries. Mm-hmm. With with mud bars on either side, and then the the river level is up above the level of the Gulf of Mexico. Now, explain to us real so, quickly what a mud bar is. Uh, it's just uh, the silt gets deposited more on the sides than it does in the middle. Okay. So you have these these natural levees on either side, and then a. Uh, is that because the water is changing temperature? Uh, no, maybe? it's just because uh, the water, it's not as much force. Okay. Okay. It's it's so the hydraulic. It gets washed to the side, and okay. in, in the middle, it gets washed away. Well, a little coming bit. from Tibet. But, but what happens is, it's running across this natural sort of a, the silt has built up this little table, mm-hmm. so that the river level is higher than the uh, the level of the plain on either side of it. Now, I want to ask you something, and uh, well, let me finish. About okay. Um, so. When there's a flood or a storm or something breaches one of the natural levees, it can flood miles and miles and miles and miles and miles because there's nothing to stop it. So when you've read in, in you know that uh, in 1937 there was a flood that killed four million people in China, that's what happened. It was on the North China Plateau. Mm-hmm. The uh, something caused a breach in the levees holding in the Yellow River, and it just flooded like 50,000 miles. So, anyway, go ahead. Well, right, okay. And But coming from, did you say the Yellow River originates in Tibet? Uh, on the Tibetan Plateau. 
Okay, now the Tibetan Plateau, is that influenced at all by the Himalayan mountains? Uh, It's part of the Himalayan system. It's not the Himalayas. It's in in an area called the Bayanhar Mountains. Okay. Because I was thinking, my gosh, the the height of where it would be originating would be very fresh and cold and... Yeah, uh, and coming down, but then it's when, once it gets down into the plateau areas, right. it must wide. Does it widen like the Mississippi River? Hugely, yeah. Okay. Not like the the Yangtze is uh, carries much more water than the the, the Yellow River. Okay. Well, Yangtze the Yellow River sort now. Of, uh, well, let's just say anecdotal today uh, with your background. <coughs> you have a master's degree in forestry and, an, yeah. and a degree in anthropology, and you write Nietzsche books, yeah. naturalist books. How, what do you think China could do with a river that has gotten so polluted and it's so old? I mean, we're not, in America, we're a young country compared to that, those countries. Um, what could they possibly do to clean it up? Yeah, um, boy... Well, well, no more industry near it. Start out with uh, cleaning up the industry. First. Uh, in the U.S., you know, I mean, you know, it took 50 years to do it, but mm-hmm. you can't dump stuff into the Mississippi River or the Colorado River. If you have a factory alongside the river, you got to put your waste somewhere else besides in the air or in the river. But if you've been reading your news today, uh, Art, about America today, um, Still an issue. The big uh, about Seville, California, because of the agriculture. It wasn't the. I don't. I blame anything to do with the regulations. Uh, when you're when you're in business, you're you're doing a multiple of tasks. But because of all the agriculture in the Seville Valley area of California, yeah. they can no longer use their water at all, and yeah. and their pipes are crusty old pipes tainted with. Uh, it's a crisis with problems yeah, of the water. Five pollution. But that's, uh, 33% that's happening all over the, the United States. The Yellow River is yeah. class five or worse. Yeah. Which means the water is not fit to drink. It's not fit to bathe in. It's not fit to uh, for agriculture. It's not fit for industrial use. It's not fit for anything. Now you're talking about the Yellow River again. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. 33% of it falls into that category. This will happen all over the world in time if we don't take advice from all of us who are saying, I'm not going to go out. I don't believe in picketing. I don't believe in um, marching down the streets. I believe in getting involved. And our people out there listening should realize that all over the world, there's a way to get involved and work your way to being respected to people to take it serious and listen. I hope so. What is happening. Well, I want to thank you for joining us on the Yellow River. Um, Oh, anytime. Uh, we'll have to, well, let's find another river to discuss here because I think that, uh, like John Perkins said today, too, that he's been going around the world and water is at a crisis and we have to realize that Earth, the planet Earth is existing because we have the water. Definitely. Well, yeah. thank you for joining us. You're very uh, and have a nice day, Art. Thank you. you. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, I want to thank you for listening today. I, too, believe that this show has a mission. And we must take serious, first of all, those 5,000 children dying a day because of lack of water. And it's like many of our guests have said, water is the most environmental crisis there is. We must understand that on our planet, we are living together, as our guests have said, as brother and sisters, as family members, we're together. Without the water, there is no crops. 
and healthy crops if the water is contaminated. Without the water, you're not able to drink those 8 to 10 glasses of water a day that I've said you must drink. You know, I'm going to repeat something that Dr. Emoto has said, and it is so important to listen to his background. It's so vital, and we'd like to have them back on again, is that you are made up of water. You're like a flowing river. You're made up of water. And with the water in you, like the rivers, you must flow with drinking water. And if you're not drinking water, you're not going to decontaminate. You'll be contaminated. So remember, Earth has a secret. Embrace your life every precious moment. But Earth is whispering. Never say goodbye. Leave your footprint. You be immortal and do something with nature that is important for you to leave behind you. I want to thank you for listening and have a nice day and be well. Thank you for listening. Join us next week for another edition of the Sharon Kleina Hour, Health, Environment, and the Power of Water, Mondays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the World Talk Radio Variety Channel. Remember to visit Sharon's website at SharonKleinaHour.com. 